Yeah. Um, hopefully our next interview goes that well. Um, it's somebody who's <laughs> near and dear to my heart, one of my favorite people out there in the world. Well, we're going to have a bit of a selfish moment here as we uh, go into the brand that I represent called awesome. Star Award Whiskey. Let's based- do that. Yeah, we're going over Australia now. Let's so do that. Let's go we've Australia. gone from America. We never went over to Europe with uh, a Scotch and Irish, mm-hmm. and now we're going way down under. Let's go way as under. As I say. I don't mind. Let's koala that ass. We have koala straws. So <laughs> do we? Oh, yeah. They're they're hiding all about here. The millions of people watching over here, they have koala straws with us. Oh, um, that's what they're playing with. Let me introduce our guest, next guest, man. Oh, please do. If I could. Yeah, if you will. Absolutely. Well, um, I think someone who basically sums up World Whiskey Day because she's lived all across the world, traveled all across the world. She has worked at Star Wars Distillery for a year, and now she's based in New York, where she is my counterpart as our East Coast brand ambassador, one of my favorite people in the world, and somebody I talk to every day, mostly calling and bitching and complaining about things with work. She's kind of like <laughs> the person I like, if my wife's like, I can't deal with this right now, just call Katrina. This is what I do. <laughs> so uh, Katrina is our East Coast ambassador for Star Wars Whiskey, and she's li- joining us live from Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Yeah. Welcome. Hi. How's it going? Yeah, you actually might hear the sounds of Brooklyn uh, throughout this interview. So excuse that but that's the reality of it Thanks well you might hear the sounds like carney is outside of our place there's literally a carnival i'm not joking where there's a carnival happening outside yeah. of where we're recording right now literally about 100 feet from where we are so Get a yeah. Funnel cake or yeah good it's times great. good yeah. timing yeah well, katrina i think what would be great about you is that you've had the experience of being an ambassador on the ground but you've also had the experience of working at the bar or distillery but also you know lending your hand in the distillery itself yeah, it's been it's been a journey um, full of like serendipity and walking into the right place at the right time. Um, I moved to Melbourne in 2017 um, to be an actor, uh, and then I was an actor for full time for the first time in my life after having studied it for a really long time, um, and I realized I didn't like it very much. <laughs> Um, and uh, I was like what else am I gonna do and then I'd been bartending in New York for a while and I saw that this like distillery was hiring bartenders Um, and I walked into the space and I was like whoa this is I want to spend a lot of time in this place Um, and it was just like stunning and beautiful and it smelled like banana bread and like it was just awesome and I started working there behind the bar um, and then slowly kind of moved into uh, um, doing the like the experiential part of it and doing the distillery tours and into the master classes. And then towards the end of my tenure there, I started like learning from the distiller and the master blender because I was sort of curious and starting to like study for, for the exam, the distillation exam, just to kind of learn the science behind all of it. Um, and then I got kicked out of Australia. <laughs> in Damn straight. 2019 um and landed back in brooklyn in new york and david vitali the founder called and he was like you need a job because we're launching this brand here and i was like yeah i do um and, and, he's, so, and he's also like i have one idiot working for me right now and that's yeah. it so yeah i need another yeah, one he was like i need people and i was like cool he actually <laughs> didn't even tell me that i had the job until like we, we, there was a tasting with our whole sales team and like a bunch of yeah. other distilleries and he introduced me as the brand ambassador. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh. oh. 
that's, so this is happening. We didn't even talk about benefits. I was co- I was coming from the other yeah. side of this because I had just flown back from Australia and we had met. And he had introduced me or told me about you as our next brand ambassador. We were hiring the other idiot I was referring to as me, um, but <laughs> as the sole employee of Star Wars at that point. But we uh, he's like, oh yeah, we have a new st- brand ambassador. And we we're talking to you later in the day. We're like, I never said I would take the job, but <laughs> here we are, three plus years later, still doing it. Yeah. Still doing it. And it's been fun. And it's been we've we've had our like um, ebbs and flows. New York is a weird place to grow a small brand, but mm. it's really interesting. And the conversations continue to sort of be more and more interesting, which is great because people are getting more educated and like the category is expanding so much. So like three years ago when I first started talking about Star Wars, the first question was I didn't know that they made whiskey in Australia. And I was like, yeah, you know, you answer like the same thing over and over again. And now like that question is a little bit more rare and and sort of other questions arise in like how, what, where and when. Um, so I'm seeing like the shift in the conversation as the category widens and as more and more people are introduced to world whiskey in general. Yeah, and I think one interesting thing to talk about is what is the response that Australia and Melbourne, where we're based out of, how do they appreciate Star Wars or how do they acknowledge Star Wars versus here in the U.S.? Um, yeah, it's an interesting question. I think there it's just such a, it's such a home, it's a home whiskey, you know what I mean? So like, we, we very much focus on making sure that everything good that goes into every single one of our bottles is of the place. Um, so we use local Melbourne water, our grain comes from just under Adelaide and just under Sydney. Um, all of our barrels come from the wineries that surround us. So I feel like it's already like such a, it's a home experience and any Australian that walks into the distillery like immediately feels like this is this is also theirs. Mm. Um, and I think that's been a huge sort of part, big part of the story of Star Wars is to make sure that we're making not only an Australian whiskey, but an Australian whiskey out of an urban distillery in Melbourne city center um, and sort of encompassing all of the flavors and the ingredients, but also like the culture and, and what you want to do with the whiskey. Um, Melbourne's kind of a food capital. Uh, they're, they're very intense about their food and their coffee. Um, so we always kind of wanted to make a whiskey that like you can enjoy on the dinner table that um, all of the mixologists can have a really good time playing and like, working with the flavors, especially when it comes to pairing and, 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 and making sure that you have like a full dining experience when enjoying the whiskey. Right. And it's a great way to sum it up there with how Australians enjoy their whiskey and are totally obsessed with their food and make sure to remind you every time that Melbourne is the number one food city in the world. I'm not sure who's rating that scale of uh, cities, but uh, they'll tell you that every time you talk to them. Yeah. That and coffee. I mean, the coffee oh. thing is a little bit too intense. I was there when I was living there, I went to a coffee shop at like 8 a.m. and I was like on my way to work and you know you just wanted to have like a flat white or or a latte and they handed me a map and they made me pick the origin of my beans and I was like I can't I'm not I can't do this so it's like their intensity and their like nerdiness about certain things is of that level and Mm -hmm. similarly with food yeah I think our founder who is also coincidentally our boss um, he's that way with making whiskey he's totally obsessed by it not just about making whiskey as in putting it into a cask and having distilled in Melbourne, but really choosing these casks that are identifiable to Australia by taking these 
Cabernet, Shiraz, and Pinot Noir barrels and putting our whiskey inside of there for a full maturation, which kind of goes back to what we were talking just about with, uh, with, with all the spot whiskeys. It's a full maturation inside these red wine casts and really trying to bring in that full flavor to our single malt whiskey. Yeah. Um, should we taste? Yeah. Yeah. The, so um, we are going from, a, yeah, we're going from like a 80 proof whiskey to 110. Yeah. Proof whiskey. So uh, good afternoon. Yeah, this will wake you up a little. Um, this is one of my favorite barrel picks we have here in Chicago. I say that about all my barrel picks here in Chicago and in other states too, but this one actually was very delicious. Um, Ian, who runs the the beer cellar whiskey display, he uh, he chose this one blindly, or he chose it and then gave it to his boss blindly saying, hey, just taste this whiskey. And his boss like, whatever it is we need it at the shop. He's like, well, you just bought 40 cases of a single barrel from Star Wars. <laughs> He's like, oh, okay, great. Uh, we have their whiskeys on the shelf. I know, Jake, let's do it. So they took a chance on us and went about and purchased this barrel at the end of last year and it arrived on the shelves about five, six weeks ago. It's, um, it's unique to what we do. Uh, or yeah, I guess it's unique to what we do as a distillery. When we're making whiskey, it's all about making single malt. Um, we're using the same yeast strain. We're using all the malted barley and we're distilling it, mashing it, fermenting it all in the same method. And then we make Nova, which is our core product. And from there, we kind of branch off. And this is one of the things we get to highlight. Um, yeah. So the one that I'm tasting something's a little different than you guys, but close. Um, so this is a barrel. It started off in a French red wine barrique from the Barossa Valley. We work a lot with the Barossa Valley, and then it was finished in a charred French oak. Um, I'm tasting a similar one, but it was finished in a charred American oak. So yours is going to be a lot spicier than mine. Um, but I think like you get all of like, you get the similar core flavors and you kind of do get to explore both those red wine notes and then whatever your charred French oak is going to give you. And as Jake was saying, Starward, the spirit of Starward is 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 very experimental and adventurous, and the beginning of our like true journey as a new kind of whiskey began with fresh red wine casks. Um, the first release that we ever had was called Solera, um, and it was finished in a in an Australian sherry charred sherry called a pear over there, which is a little bit more traditional in flavor and in process and all of that. And then the Nova was where kind of we really hit our stride as the unique Aussie whiskey and sort of started answering the question of what Australian whiskey really is. Um, and it again started as a bit of an accident. Um, uh, our, I think it was Ian or Sam, I think it was Sam Slaney who found a bunch of a hundred octaves from Penfolds yep. um, at like a really great price. And they were like, should we just try it and like see what happens? And they were like, great quality. There are hundred liter barrels that are a little bit more narrow and long. So the surface area is going to shift a little bit. Um, and they were like, let's see what happens. Let's just try them fresh. They're good enough quality. Um, they smell good. Um, and let's put our new make in there and just hope for the best. Um, and in about eight months, they tried it and the new make had turned into this like lightly pink, delicious strawberries and cream. Like it was, and everyone like kind of pat, on the, pat themselves on the back and were like, did it. And then a year and a half in, they tried it and they were like, oh no, <laughs> didn't do it. Um, 
but it was as most whiskeys it, it was going through it's like awkward teenage year phase where it was like really rebelling and then they like called called in a couple of tasters and professionals they were like i think you got something you just got to wait just a little bit longer and then once we hit that two three year mark we tried nova and it was very much we were like kind of like yeah this is this is it this is the flavor that we're going to go this is where we're going to start from as sort of the flavor of what we think Australian whiskey is. Yeah. Um, seeing a lot of cool notes come in about this whiskey. I mean, They're right on too. Yeah, for sure. Spicy hot chocolate. A lot of people are saying a lot of people picking up on, on the chocolatey notes in this whiskey. I, and I agree with that, like right. huge chocolate. I, and I always get strawberry from Star Wars, mm -hmm. like chocolate. Chocolate covered strawberries. Yep. You have my favorite notes of all time, Chris, about Star Wars. Were you talking about uh, uh, Fruit by the Foot, the strawberry yeah. one, yeah. and letting it rest at the top of your mouth and yeah. then kind of get that strawberry spiciness out of it? I'm like, well, I'm going to steal that now when I have been for the last year and a half. <laughs> and you have. I've heard yeah. that note many times from you, Jake. <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm not personally getting chocolate, but I'm getting a roasted strawberry. Mm -hmm. Roasted. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Very like lovely roasted yeah. strawberry. Absolutely. Totally yeah, do you guys have do you guys have baking spices and things like that and prune and plum in yours? Because yeah, that's a little I, bit. I've got a lot of plum and I've got some tobacco on the American, but I know that the French is gonna bring right. out there's more toffee, I would say, than tobacco on this one. That's where the American note cast kind of come into play, which is so I think it's most identifiable, well, not identifiable maybe for the drinker, but for us as as distilleries that we split half of our 14,000 red wine barrels between French oak and American oak staves. And it gives us a really unique funkiness from the French oak kind of gives that more toffee vanilla note flavor to it. Where these American uh, barrels, especially when they're recharred, gives that baking spice. It, can, it, alter, it alters in that reminiscence of a bourbon uh, smell to it and taste to it. So it invites those drinkers that are of American whiskey into our single malt uh, category. Yeah. And I think it's sort of, we're, we're sort of always straddling this really interesting line with Star Wars where like mm. we're definitely new and experimental and like we do get a lot of raised eyebrows from like the whiskey purists but then as soon as they try it you do get you get all of these like deeply familiar flavors that like bring you home to what sort of everybody thinks whiskey should be or is or tastes like um while still sort of like challenging your palate and like letting you expand the way that you talk and think about it um and i think the fresh red wine really lets us like stretch our palate a little bit but then with this in particular the charred french oak in your case um it kind of does bring you back to some of those original notes that we're sort of comfortable sitting in and sipping mm -hmm. um yeah it's a very it's a good pick no, it is. Um, and the cool thing about it is that, it, you know, it's, it's a single cask in a way or single whiskey, if you will. But we transferred that whiskey from that fresh barrique uh, of French oak after about two years, two months, then transferred into a recharred barrel. So it gives it that elevated spiciness to it. I think those um, that spicy note that people are getting, that, that chocolate cocoa note, it's coming from that charred cask finish. And we aren't just putting whiskey in the more brief when we're finishing barrels. We're not just putting in there for like three to six months. We're doing somewhere between 12 to 14 months in our finishes. So we really saturate the whiskey and not kind of like spike it in the flavor. Yeah, I think, I think our variety of barrels is really interesting. Actually, we did a, we did a launch last week with Dave um, and one of the one of the journalists asked him if we find it limiting to be using red wine casks, um, and his answer was like absolutely not because between 
between the French and American oak, right? Charred and uncharred. And then you've got a variety of red wine. And then you've got where it sits in the, in the rick house. Um, and then added to that, you've got Melbourne climate where I don't know if anyone's been to Melbourne in the past, but you have 30 degrees fluctuations in a single day. Um, which means that our rick house is going to go up to like 120 degrees Fahrenheit um, and down to pretty close to freezing. Um, so all of that means that the variety within our barrels is enormous, even though we are kind of focusing on the red wine at the moment. Um, so it's it gives, you know, it gives everyone a really interesting job. Um, we've got, I think, about 13,000 barrels, if I'm right, Jake. 14. Um, yeah, just uh, heard from Sam the other day. We're getting close to 14,000. Nice. Um, all of those get tasted every quarter um, to make sure that everything is kind of proceeding as usual. This is true for every like sort of hot, hot weather maturation process um, because of like how quickly things change in the barrel. They're going to change there. Even if two barrels are right next to each other, the changes are going to be sort of unpredictable. Um, so it gives all of our blenders a really wonderful challenge to make sure that um, that we're, we're going in the right direction. Yeah, dream job. I will say that um, I thought so too, until I realized, so Jared is our um, master blender and he was a good friend of mine. And I always thought like Jared was always in a good mood around noon. Um, and I was like, look at Jared go. Um, and then I realized that uh, it was because Jared comes in at 6 a.m. and does all of his tastings at 6 a.m. before uh, before having coffee or food uh, mm. or even like water sometimes because you need your palate to be totally fresh. So then he takes a break um, and then gives himself. I think he had he had a he has a uh, what is it called the blow thing where you like check your alcohol Me? level. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> maybe we breathalyzer. breathalyzer breathalyzer yeah. yeah he has a breathalyzer like that he <laughs> has at the distillery for him to make sure that he's like all right to have operate heavy machinery by midday my point is it's it's a wonderful <laughs> job but um it's it's weirdly exhausting in in different ways. I'm sure like you're all kind of experiencing it with throughout all these tastings, but when you have to do it for a job, um, I did do, we did a lineup of 10 barrels once um, and I kind of joined him in the taste through. Uh, I was out by five. Like I couldn't yeah. taste yeah. anything yeah. anymore. Yeah. And I was like, I'm nope, useless. I don't have any notes. Yeah. Yeah. Especially yeah. at cast strength. We're like, yeah. all these, especially yeah. at cast strength. Yeah. So we, I mean, we're usually making some pretty softer whiskeys for the, compared to the, what's happening over here in America, we're doing everything between 80 and 86 proof. And we bring our cast strength uh, single barrels out to around 110 up to as high as 116. Yeah, that's a lot. Which we're just releasing some of those wheat casts right now, which we, which is weird for us. We are a single malt distillery, but we also make wheat whiskey for one of our blended whiskeys. And with that, we just launched uh, eight wheat whiskey barrels, single barrels um, here in the United States, which was pretty exciting for us. And mostly because the barrel selection we chose from those, there was four that were American STRs. So shaved, toasted, recharred casts, um, and they're all American oak uh, staves. And then we had four that were PX casts, which was something I didn't know actually this until last night, incredibly unique for us because we only had eight or nine of those barrels total. Hmm. Did you know that? Um, no, I don't think I did. Yeah, pretty crazy. So we took four of those barrels and made them into seven-year-old single barrels, which is the oldest kind of age statement, if you will. We don't really have to put an age statement on there. We put the time for when it was 
first barrel to when it was bottled on there, but not an actual age statement. So you can kind of do the math with like, if it says, you know, December or 12, 6, 20, 20, or 15 to 12, 6, 21, you can kind of do the math on it. We actually don't actually put an age statement. And I don't think we ever will have age statement whiskey because right. we're taking whiskey that's alive and ready to go. Um, as you know, from working in the bond store is that there's two-year-old whiskey ready to go based on law. We have to barrel age for a minimum of two years. We'll put it into a batch of whiskey. Uh, there goes, there's that um, sort of variety, right? And, and how like not limited we really are at the distillery. Um, yeah. The age statement thing, that's an interesting, that's also like what we were talking about earlier of like, we're sort of expanding the category. I don't get asked very often about age anymore which mm. is really lovely um, nice. because I think we're finally sort of getting to the place where people are recognizing that whiskey is made um, everywhere and yeah. what an impact climate really has on it. Yeah. Um, I have tasted, uh, we had a, we had a 50 liter, this was bananas. We had a 50 liter seven-year-old when I was there. Um, <laughs> And I think we we named the barrel. It's never going to get released to public, nor should it. Um, <laughs> we, named the, we named the barrel the Techno Viking um, Techno because Viking. it just is like chaos in a glass. Um, nice. And it was it was like I don't even know what it was like 130. Um, it was like super dark brown, um, and you kind of taste it, and your brain does a cartwheel of like what is happening. Um, <laughs> really interesting stuff but like it's never gonna see right. the outside world um but like with something like that right we we pop a little bit of that in a blend and like mm. who mm. knows what's gonna happen yeah. um so we oh. kind of we have a really interesting you know what i mean if your final bottle is a is a painting we've got a really interesting palette of colors to work with at the distillery right and what is, and what is the australian whiskey scene like so but people always ask me, I, I saw that question a lot or the response of when I say, do you want to try an Australian whiskey? Like, oh, I didn't know Australia made whiskey. It is the number five importer of bourbon in the world, um, mostly because of canned sodas with a bourbon inside of those, um, which people don't understand. And there are some exclusive releases that distilleries will do for the Australian market, the Asian market um, down there. But what's what's being distilled into Australia? Um, we are seeing a pretty big boom in brown spirits. Um, I think that bo that boom's coming. It sort of started in Tasmania um, with Bill Lark, who was the sort of the grandfather of Aussie whiskey. Um, in the 90s, he uh, Australia never really had a prohibition era. What it did have was a lot of rules and regulations that made it very difficult to start a distillery. Um, and that was uh, the size of the still. Uh, you were required to have a pretty enormous still to start and like no one really can afford that when you're just a startup uh so bill lark was involved in local government on tasmania and kind of got that rule overturned and started his own distillery and out of that blossomed um essentially scotch in australia um tasmania sort of feels and looks and tastes like parts of Scotland. Uh, they've got natural peat over there. It's salty, like it, just everything about it. Uh, so it booms. So there's a lot of really interesting Scotch style whiskey being made on Tasmania. Um, all of it is um, all of it is pretty small release, uh, pretty expensive. Um, on mainland, 
they're real big into rum, man. And like, not like great rum. Um, <laughs> there's a distillery called Bundaberg. <laughs> um and bundy's is a very big deal um so like rum and coke is a thing we've got like i think we have an interesting thing in america also where we've got like the really high-end like mixology focus on flavor and like the combination and then we've got like the whiskey and coke so like australia is the same way but with rum and coke um and then yeah the the can thing is pretty wild like when i started bartending i didn't realize that when somebody ordered uh, a Jack and Coke, they usually meant the can. <laughs> um, like it was a big learning period because that's like what they drink there. Um, otherwise, a lot of awesome gin is being is being distilled, especially in Victoria. Uh, Four Pillars is a really wonderful gin distillery and we're gonna see more and more of that coming out. Um, we've got a huge beer culture. Uh, the beer will not see um probably anywhere outside of australia just because like distance um wine we all obviously know but i would say i would say gin and whiskey is going to be what we see most of and i think where that craft um is really gravitating towards at the moment um it's experimental gin but also um sort of still playing around with like what Australian whiskey is and what it means mm -hmm. as that category grows. So we'll see more and more creative whiskey coming out of Australia with Starward obviously at the forefront. Uh, <laughs> but we'll see we'll see more and more of that. And I think I've been I've been seeing it kind of pop up all over the place. Um, and as Starward grows um, and sort of being one of the first to enter a market in a big way as we have. Um, I think a lot of other brands are going to, you know, feel inspired by that, hopefully, and, and right. also make the, make the journey. Do you feel that people are starting to understand that single malt is a universal category and not just a scotch category? I think so. I think we still get a lot of confusion with certain things. Um, but I think single malt, it just takes, you know what I mean? Like it kind of just takes breaking down the two words and what that means. Right. Um, and then you see just how universal it is, but I think so. Um, I think with, um, you know, Cavalan and Paul John and Abasolo and all of these other whiskeys being made in like sort of unconventional places, that single malt category is really, really opening up like what, how it's spoken about and what the perceptions of it are. Yeah, definitely. No, I agree with you on that. I think we're breaking down barriers, not 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 just Star Wars, but all those world brands you're talking about there. It's so helpful where we can actually work together because we'll do world whiskey tastings together on things like this in Zoom or do events together where we can actually put that category um, into one confine, but then it can branch out and you see, okay, you have Australia, you have Taiwan, you have India, um, you have Mexico, you have... Uh, Ireland, you have England, you have all these different places that are making single malt whiskey. Yes, does it, does it derive from what happened in Scotland? Absolutely. But the terroir, the speaking of place inside the bottle about where this whiskey is made um, and where it comes from should always be the center point of what you're tasting inside of that bottle. And that's what we truly try to perpetuate at Star Wars with a pure Australian whiskey. Yeah, it's also interesting. I saw American single malt somewhere in the chat there. 
Um, and that's also like kind of a breakthrough category, right? Like we're getting to that next. Oh yeah. There's a lot of conversation. There is a big conversation about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would say that American single malt might even have, um, a more unpaved road to travel because of bourbon, um, Mm. because it's so hard to break through. You're kind of like, you're kind of parallel to the bourbon route, but so different where with Australian whiskey, we're kind of like the first of its kind. So we're like, we can do whatever we want. You know what I mean? Um, Where like that, yeah, it's kind of got a lot of like history and cultural implications and like what American single malt means as opposed to like just fully being able to make up our own rules in Australia and just be accepted for what it is. Yeah, and that's a kind of a great point place to kind of wrap up there because there isn't a lot of rules to be followed in Australia when making whiskey as we have here categories categorized not just here in the U.S. but across the entire world and we play around with that where one of the main rules is it has to taste like whiskey well that's so that's a definition that we can loosely play with and kind of do all things we want to and experiment all across the board yeah I mean I'm really excited to sort of um see what arrives in the U.S. and and you know, kind of treated as like a, just an enormous focus group to sort of see what the American <laughs> palate like likes about Australian whiskey. Cause I think even in the single mall, in the single barrel sort of journey, we yep. find that Americans, the American palate gravitates more toward char um, as opposed to unchar um, and sort of things like that with, with, we've got some interesting releases coming out um, in the next few in the next like year or so with Octave. Sometime. Yeah, at some point. We, we just launched Octave, which is our first. Um, is it right next to you? Yeah. <laughs> well done. Um, Octave launched last week. Um, it's our first single origin whiskey. And by origin, I mean single um, vineyard and vine, really. Um, so this is what we talked about in the beginning of like what made Starward Starward was um, Octavius wine from Penfolds. So this is um, Octave barrels from Penfolds um, that from Yolimba, sorry, um, not Penfolds. Um, and that just launched and it's really special and unique. We've got ginger beer cask that's going to be launching um, and a few other really interesting things that when I was leaving the distillery, I kind of, you know, took a scan of like the weirdest barrels back there, um, <laughs> but they should be like just about getting ready. So I'm really excited to see as they sort of emerge and enter the market, um, especially in the U.S. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'll let you do the shameless plug about our distillery, and what we achieved over the last couple of weeks um, through some medals. Because I know if I didn't yeah. mention the medals, Dave would like. Yeah. Um, so Starward just won 12 double gold medals at the San Francisco Spirit Awards, which um, 15, because then it got three more golds, um, which is a no first boogie. for That's... any distillery ever, I yeah. believe. Yeah. Um, and definitely a first for Australian whiskey. Um, so it will... Um, we're really, really excited. Um, it's a huge win and, um, yeah, we're like super proud and I'm super proud to even be a part of something that, um, you know, got so, got the recognition it really deserves after, after all this time. Yeah. And two of those double gold, uh, single barrels are available here in Chicago, 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 Chicago. (laughs) 
Um, not this one. It should have won double gold, but it's very tasty. And you can order it online through the beer cellar if you like it out there for all those people that are uh, tasting all throughout the United States. There you go. Sorry for the shameless plug. There is no, no shame in that, my no. friend. It's well-deserved. <laughs> well, no uh, Katrina, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Um, people are tired of hearing me talk about Star Wars, so I'm glad we have a new face to, uh, to the brand with this crew of people. Um, especially for all of our Chicago Knights that are out here. Is that the right word? Chicago wins? Chicago wins. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Knights doesn't sound right. We are Chicago Knights. Chicago Knights sounds like you like need a knights sword. Of yeah. Well, <laughs> we have, we usually carry swords here. So that's usually how it goes. But have to. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. And after that conversation about San Francisco, we're actually moving over the Bay Area right now. So it's okay. perfect. Thanks, Katrina. Amazing. Have fun, guys. Thanks for having Cheers. me. Cheers. See you. Bye, Katrina. Cheers. I'll, I'll see you in San Francisco in a month. See ya. I actually will. Oh, that's awesome. Not a lie, because uh, we are up there? for Distillery of the Year, so we might find out Very if we win cool. that. Yeah. So. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, but uh, we will bring on our next guest. Um, I'm asking Dave to unmute himself right now. Thanks again, Katrina. Um, and thanks, everybody, for uh, putting up with me talking about my brand for a oh, while. That was great. Um, awesome. I appreciate that. Oh, there he is. How's it going? It's going fantastic. Um, I don't know how I'm supposed to follow that though. Like with, uh, <laughs> with, 12, with 12 awards and like, you know, like you're, you're, you're basically doing the shameless plug for your own, yeah. own brand. And, and when you say yeah. shameless plug, man, I gotta say there's no shame in that because you're, you all are doing amazing work and I'm really just excited and, and, and just genuinely happy to see that sort of celebration and acceptance for, uh, effectively category creation right right there's like that's that's a big deal that takes a lot of education a lot of heart and effort and thankless work until suddenly it's, it's almost like it's, it's akin to like oh yeah i love that band they're they're <laughs> they, you know they, they they just came out right with the first album it's like no you missed the last four albums that no one listened to yet <laughs> <laughs> definitely well let us introduce you dave um if we if we can yeah, um, so, yeah Dave is the head distiller over at St. George. Um, our great friend, Jamie Duffy, who is uh, their market manager here in Chicago and, carry, and uh, also covers various states here in the Midwest, set this one up for us. So almost like a shameless plug for St. George here because Jamie's so close to all of us no, and close no to a key in the lake. And also, but St. George is the OG when Saint, it comes to craft. The, yeah, yeah. the OG. Excited to have this. We have, I mean, we've gone now all across the world and we're back in the United States, but we're back to where what we're seeing right now is craft distilleries. I mean, just American distilleries in general. I hate using that word now because these brands have grown up. Yep. So Dave, welcome to the key in the lake podcast. Extravaganza thank, for world whiskey day. Thank, thanks for that. And I, and I, I just want to observe that. I think it's a really apt comment on the idea of craft because craft is a, a really good example of a meaningless bullshit <laughs> marketing term. Like it's, <laughs> it's something where like, I don't care if it's like, it's, it's craft defined by five I cases could... or 500 or 5,000. Uh, and, and ultimately I think it comes down, it comes down to ethos. It right. comes down to the heart and there's, there's little brands out there producing beautiful work and little brands that are producing meh work yeah. and there's big yeah. brands out there that are producing beautiful work and there's big brands out there producing net work yeah. you know yeah. so <laughs> yeah. well summed up I, I appreciate that i love that you said that thank you i yes. appreciate that um, we, of we, course we I'm, some... I'm here for you brother <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have so many brands here that i think when we look at what we're tasting here today it's all about narrowing it down to what what works inside of the barrel after it's been distilled mm -hmm. and the precious moments to go on every step along the way to make a whiskey a quality whiskey like not just a whiskey, something that's going to be out there for the masses to drink. You're a hundred percent. And I just want to uh, uh, respond to uh, someone's comment on there about the idea of loving craft. 
I, I come at, I'm, I'm describing, I'm telling you that I love craft, but I love the ethos of it. And it's trying to define craft that I think is really, really difficult. It's, it's mm -hmm. something where you, you, hopefully you know it, like you recognize it, it's thumbprintable. It's something that's mm -hmm. identifiable and, and you're able to, to capture and, and, and share and be proud of sharing it. Right. Yeah. Well, so how does St. Going on that conversation, how does St. George kind of show itself to the rest of the world? How do you see yourselves as a brand and say, Here, here's what we've been doing for now for 40 years. We're not just been around the, you know, if I a small distillery on a street corner where somebody has been in the game, it kind of invented the game of distilling here in America when it comes to not the craft level, but to uh, a newer level of whiskey. Hmm. Well, you know, uh, thank you for that. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll really say that it comes for, for us, it comes for, if you, if uh, you know, and I'll, I'll dive into details on, on how we do things. But if there's one thing I want everyone to understand about us, it's why we do this. And ultimately, this is an opportunity um, for us to connect to people in ways that I don't have another means to connect to people. Mm. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, and, I, and I'll go a little bit more into the history and the founding of St. George 40 years ago. We're celebrating our 40th anniversary this Amazing. year. Like, but that's, that's, that's awesome. it's extraordinary. Um, we've, been, we've been producing American single malt for the last 25, 26 years now. Um, I have Lance has stories, uh, Lance Winters, our master distiller and the, the founder of our single malt program. He, uh, was, a um, uh, nuclear engineer on the USS enterprise and made the very natural transition after he left the Navy to becoming a brewer and then an illegal <laughs> home distiller. It's okay. The statute of limitations have run out. I checked. It's okay to say that now. Um, but he, uh, he fell in love with a bottle. A friend gave him a bottle of Lagavulin and it was like the first whiskey that he'd had where he felt inspired. He was just like, oh God, this isn't just like, this isn't just drinking. Like there's, there's actually really something here and he's exploring it. And then he started realizing I'm doing half the work of being a distiller by being a brewer. And he started basically distilling beers from the, from the pub he was working at in his, in his garage and had a very nervous couple of years there. Every time the door, you know, the doorbell rang, there was a knock. He was thinking that's the, it's the, it's the, it's the ATF showing up. They got me. <laughs> he brought his, his resume to Jörg Rupf, our founder, and Jörg had won awards um, back in the old world uh, for eau de vie making. And it's, I'm coming back to this idea of, of who we are and why we do this. So give me just a, a just give me a, a little bit of rope and I'll hang myself on it, please. Um, but Jörg had, had won awards back in the old world uh, for eau de vie making. Remember it's the eighties, right? It's the nineties. No one's drinking eau de vie unaged fruit brandies here in America. It doesn't exist. And Lance shows up with his bottle of, uh, of, of homemade single malt and York smells it and says, yeah, you know, we can try out for a month. Let's see how it goes. Uh, I need some help around the shop. Um, you know, and then, and you're, you know, this, this whiskey is, it's, it, it's inoffensive. And Lance, <laughs> Lance will describe this. He, he, he cried himself to sleep that night. But I, what I want you all to understand is that if York roof ever tells you that something is inoffensive, you better high five. You better be dancing for joy. Uh, Jörg is the maestro. He is very discerning. He is, uh, a, he's the kind of person who's a, a father figure to, to Lance. He's my, uh, my, my boys call him, uh, Opa. I mean, like he's, he, this is, this is, this is family for us. And, but, but Jörg doesn't hold back. If Jörg sells something that's inoffensive, man, you better celebrate it. It's, you just landed a man on the moon. Jörg, you should be excited. And part of that is that with, is Jorg's always the devil on our shoulder. He's always the angel on our shoulder. He's the one who's talking to us and saying, oh, is that your best work? Is that the best thing you think you can put out in the world? Mm. Is that, and it's, and so, it, and it's never quite good enough. Right. And so we're always driven. And I go back to this idea of craftsmanship. It's, it's basically, it's, it's hopefully being an artist. It's being a creative, but it's the idea of never actually letting yourself feel like you've finished a project. 
so much as I'm just going to give up because I don't feel I can take the snake further. But you've sort of cracked your 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 skull against against that brick wall as as long as you can. I, I come at this from a, a background with uh, from winemaking and from being uh, uh, a reformed uh, English teacher. I can write uh, some short stories and screenplays about being unemployed and living in my friends' couches <laughs> also. Um, but but it's it's it's, it's 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 again it's it's I wanted to create stories. I wanted to write stories. I wanted to create worlds. And this is a, a way, a pathway. I've been at St. George now for 17 years. This is a way for me to tell a story and create worlds in a way that I was not able to communicate with a written word. Um, and so it's something that for us is, is really center to why we actually mm. put spirits out in the world. It's to express something new. It's to express something about ourselves. Absolutely. Um, and to, yeah. and to share, share something. I think one of the best uh, quotes I ever heard, well, stories maybe, um, or anecdote from, uh, actually from Jamie Duffy's dad, uh, who's attended a few whiskey events himself, just, you know, helping his brother Marty out with shows and everything like that. Whenever he sees a group of brand ambassadors in a room, he always thinks, well, this is the biggest collection of failed actors. <laughs> and it's people that are, you know, that have a craft, have a story to tell, or, you know, it's something about them is talented, something around them is um, filled with art. And if you can't do it, maybe on some other level, like being a writer, being a photographer, whatever it may be, the storytelling of whiskey is an art itself. Making whiskey is, a, is much, much, much of an art. Um, so I can definitely appreciate that. I know that you guys sitting next to me also appreciate the art and storytelling in the art of whiskey itself. Um, I'm really glad you said that. And, and, and one of the things I'd actually, you think you sort of dovetail into a, an idea here, but it's as an artist, you have to have a perspective. Mm. You have to have something unique to say. If, if my best artistry is to create a whiskey and, 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 it's to, and you all can taste it and say, oh my God, this whiskey is great. It's just like this other whiskey I had, we failed. Like right. that's, not, that's not the purpose of, of art. The purpose of art is to actually show something new. It's to express something that we, that, that we haven't experienced before. And, and the feedback loop on this is that when we make our spirits, it's a, I, I sort of liken it to being a, um, a, a screenwriter. It's being a, a playwright. Because at that point, I'm asking other artists to create their art. So I've written, you're writing a play and then the playwright steps back and the director, the actors, the, the lighting, everyone else comes in, the customers, they make their own art inspired by that base material. And in that same way, as a distiller, I, I think that we're, we're sort of, we're asking other artists to be creative and to showcase their best work in exploring a cocktail, coming up with an idea that I, we, Lance or I, we, we couldn't have fathomed when we were working on the spirit itself. Yeah. What do you think was the first uh, screenplay, if you will, that you wrote for St. George? <laughs> Um, you know, it's a, it's a great question. I'd like to give you a very convoluted, complicated answer, but I don't, I don't have one actually. Uh, what, what I, um, no, it's, I know exactly what it was. It was, uh, it was our NOLA coffee liqueur and oh, it was yeah. based on, uh, yes. I, I, I flew out to New Orleans. I met my wife in New Orleans, uh, or with a woman who would later become my wife. At that point, she was just a, a friend who was going nice. to school with, uh, with the buddy. And I spent a lot more of that weekend with, uh, one, one of my friend's friends rather than my, my buddy. And so, uh, but I uh, had chicory coffee in New Orleans and was falling in love and came back to the distillery and said, Lance, I want to make a coffee liqueur. And he's like, great, we can do that. Let's, let's, we love coffee. And I said, I want to make a chicory coffee. He's like, Dave, that's a terrible idea. Chicory <laughs> like, is an insult to good coffee. Why would you do this? And we, we started, you know, I, there's, there, I can go into more detail on it. Uh, um, it, it basically, we'll, we'll, do the, we'll do this on the after show. Um, but uh, <laughs> what, 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 the point of it is that exploring the raw materials and exploring the ingredients Ultimately, as distillers, St. George Spirits, with, I, I go back to that idea of what York was founded on, what York founded our distillery on 40 years ago, 
but it's unaged fruit brandies. And an unaged fruit brandy, a pear de vie, a kirsch, a framboise, these are things that we still make today. And they're things where you don't have anywhere to hide flaws in raw materials. You don't have any barrel aging. You don't have anything. There's, there's nothing added to it. So it's just pure raw materials. It's sensory snapshots of those raw materials. And ultimately, on each expression, if we're making a, a, if I'm making a coffee liqueur or a green chili vodka or a gin that's based on the, the local forests of the Bay Area, or it's our single malt program, it's always based on the idea of trying to celebrate the raw materials, translate through them through these mediums of fermentation sciences, perfume making, distillation, and make uh, us basically translate those raw materials into something that is either a sensory snapshot of them, or maybe that combining raw materials allows you that uh, one plus one equals three. And ultimately as a, as a whiskey maker, as a blender, you have to have that, there, there, there's a reason to put those barrels together. I need one plus one equals three. Otherwise those barrels should just be separate single cask mm -hmm. expressions. I wanna paint, paint a landscape. I wanna paint a portrait and uh, those, those different barrels become different colors to do so. Right, absolutely. That's awesome. So uh, Dave, you had mentioned like, you know, being an artist and having a perspective and, and we have in, in these kits that went out to everyone that are tasting along, we have the, uh, the baller single malt what's what's the perspective of saint george in in the creation of that whiskey and um what what purpose it should it should serve so the the baller single malt hey there it is there hello it is. old friends i missed you um <laughs> that's, that's that's uh yeah there we go <laughs> it's i've been i've been drinking i've been drinking all morning guys i got this um we're actually, the, we're actually empty this one so, uh, <laughs> um so the so bear with me for a second because the baller single malt is uh, is is a is a is a is a weird wonderful wonderful sort of happy accident almost. Um, the baller single malt stems from having bowls of ramen at our friend's ramen shop in Oakland. If ramen's fantastic, don't get anything else there. The cheeseburger is not going to be satisfying, but it's the ramen. It's the ramen shop. Um, really talented, lovely people. They are artists unto themselves, and I and again I can go into more detail on that. But the the thing I want you to understand is that this is a restaurant that is friends who are like family. And uh, my wife actually used to work there at one time. Lance's son used, uh, used to work at Ramen Shop. I mean, these are uh, uh, this is a place where you go in and you're just selling, you're enjoying life. And the piece there that I want you to have is that we're there having a meal at Ramen Shop. Life is perfect. You're, we're drinking Habiki highballs. We're, we've got these bowls of like miso pork belly ramen that are really rich. And a highball, usually a cocktail with a meal is actually kind of a distraction I find. I, uh, cocktails are, are great in a lot of circumstances, but with a meal, it's not necessarily what I would go towards. And then with a highball, highball is almost like a gluten-free light beer. It's sort of this bright light sort of way to cut through mm -hmm. all that fatty, savory uh, umami richness. And the only, there, there's a joy to having that meal with friends who are like family and family who are like friends. The only thing better than that is the joy of when you've actually, the intimacy of when you've made that meal for your family and friends. And we're there, life is perfect. We're, we're loving it. And we're thinking, you know what? I've made nothing to contribute to this table. Like this is, <laughs> this is, these are our friends. We're drinking fantastic whiskey that is not ours. Well, what's, what is, what's the nature of Japanese whiskey? And we started to sort of explore that concept and the idea of, of the inspiration of Japanese whiskey from scotch directly. And then the, the Japanese whiskey's ability to go on and celebrate it and develop something wholly new with a huge sense of that, that law, that harmony, uh, and that sense of what it, what it is to itself. 
And so we drew inspiration from, from a, a category that had drawn inspiration from a, another from another spirit category or another nationality, if you will. And so we went back to the shop and started working through barrels. And we've got, we've been producing our single malt whiskey for 25 years, but it's a very cocoa, hazelnut um, sort of uh, expression of whiskey that's uh, richer with some uh, beechwood and alderwood. It's not a, it's not a great single malt for a highball for from our lot series whiskeys. It's not going to work with with ramen. And we wanted to, we started going through barrels and and had a, a batch we had tried out that was a, a very lighter style, uh, two row kale barley, as well as some Munich malt. So almost like uh, Lance would describe it as like number three on your toaster. Just this mm-hmm. really light sort of lovely expression of, of single malt of, of that barley. And uh, we were playing around with with that as kind of an idea of, okay, this is this has something to say in a highball. This is this is something to say, but it's also incomplete. And we were doing some work uh, playing around with um, maple hardwood smoked charcoal. So usually charcoal uh, filtration in the whiskey is a, a reductive process. It's to basically remove something from it. In this case, the maple hardwood smoked charcoal has got this really savory, um, smoky, sweet smoke palate texture to it. And the idea there was to use this as actually an additive effect to actually sort of shift the balance and to actually add a touch of smoke in a way that you wouldn't normally get from peat or from uh, from uh, smoking the, the barley itself. And so we uh, used uh, maple hardwood smoked charcoal as part of the baller. And then in the most uh, St. George way possible, and when I say that, what I mean is it's the most well-intentioned uh, process or ideology. And then it's also the, the hardest actual way to, to get to get somewhere. Um, we've uh, been working on, a sh- on, play- on making shochu for our friends at the ramen shop again. And, uh, and so uh, we tried uh, 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 barley, we had worked with um, uh, sweet potatoes, um, at, at no time was white rice gonna be like the really interesting substrate for, for the shochu and uh, over and over again in life, especially in this sort of work, I, I discovered that I'm actually completely wrong. Um, that the, the white rice is a brilliant base substrate for koji to create an enzymatic conversion of starches to sugars for the yeast to play off of to develop these great sort of savory cashew, pistachio flavors. We make this shochu for ramen chop. And then um, we also uh, were able to get some access to California grown ume fruit. And so for those of you who know, but ume fruit, ume is, um, I might find like plum wine at a, mm-hmm. you know, a, 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 a sushi uh, and you'd find plum wine and a plum wine is actually just a terrible translation. Uh, the fruit base is not plum, it's ume, which is a, a Japanese stone fruit. And it's not a winemaking process, it's more like a liqueur making process. And so we took this ume fruit and we soaked it with um, uh, our house-made shochu and then organic cane sugar. And then we, we do that for about six to 12 months, draw off that liquid. The uh, shochu is, uh, has basically absorbed a lot of character from the ume fruit itself. And then um, we distill the ume fruit, we blend some of that ume distillate back in with some of the ume shu, we barrel aged that ume shu and um, we've been doing that for, oh man, eight years now, and we had wow. never sold a drop of umeshu. We've only been doing it to make umeshu casks to then finish this baller whiskey. And part wow. of that was the idea of like, wow. I wanna make, if we're gonna really make something that's, that's of, of Japan, it's trying to sort of celebrate and share our own California take on this tradition. These are some of the ways that we can, we sort of, we, we can express that and show it. And, and, it, and again, it, you know, it's the kind of thing I want, uh, love it or hate it, I want a thumbprint here. I want you to smell and taste this and think, oh, this is that baller whiskey. This is, this, this is those idiots, Lance and Dave. I, I know, I know these guys. Those, those fools still owe me twenty dollars. 
like right. that's but i want that that should be part of it you should be able to yeah. read and celebrate that expression and, and recognize us in what we put out into the world and that craftsmanship is unbelievable it kind of goes back to what we were tasting the glenlida earlier with their reserve uh caribbean reserve cask where they're taking those barrels and basically seasoning it with rum um these x barrels from uh um, from other from previous distilled batches to make that whiskey into the future when you guys are doing it i think on a much smaller level to be fair than perno is probably doing it um no, whoa, no. Whoa, whoa. what's 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 the, what's with the judgment here man come on yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but i mean equally each distillery or you know whatever portfolio you want to call that is taking care and precision into making a great whiskey and a lot of time and effort goes into it and it goes back to that craftsmanship you were talking about and you're a distillery uh, that was making single malt whiskey here in america when there wasn't even people fighting for a law for a category to be placed inside of placed it inside uh, of a hundred percent. And, and, and I will, uh, actually I'll, I'll share that. Um, so when we first started we making our single malt, our, our single malt, uh, when Lance started in at St. George in, in 96, you know, he showed up and he wanted to make single malt and York said, yeah, of course you can make, we'll make single malt. But by the way, I want to make, we gotta make these, I got pears coming in. It's harvest. We got pears. I got cherries and Lance learned a perspective. I love, he showed up loving single malt whiskey and wanting to make single malt. He learned to love distillation as an art form, as, a, as an act of, exp of expression through these other categories. And he'll also tell you, you know, that's that's the, the happy part of it. He'll also tell you that um, he, the first release of our lot series single malt was in um, 2001, if I have my dates right. And it was, and he brought it to um, Whiskey Fest New York. That should be a very a good community of people who are interested in here's this American single malt. And Lance will tell you that it was an awful experience. It was something where he's got this American single malt. It's four years old and people walked up to the table and said, what's this? And he, and he said, I've got an American single malt. And they said, oh, it's a bourbon. And he said, no, no, it's actually, it's a single malt <laughs> whiskey. And they're like, oh, it's a scotch. And he's like, no, no, but it's actually, so it's all barley and here's this Nashville and here's, here's this, it's got two row pale. It's got crystal malt. I've got chocolate malt in here. I've got Bamberg malt, which is smoked over beechwood and alderwood from in Bamberg, Germany. And, and, and people would say, how old is it? And he'd say, it's four years old. And, he, and they'd say, no, not interested. And they'd walk on. And he's like, you, you don't have to pay more to try this or even just like check it out. Think about, think about that experience in, in, at that point in time, right? 2001 yeah. versus today. Think about, think about go to a whiskey fest, go to any sort of a, a event where there's people who are excited about whiskey and the people are going to gravitate towards what's this thing I've never heard of before. Oh, what is like, show me something new. I'm actually excited by that. This is a four-year-old American whiskey. Great. Sock it to me. Let me, let me, let me see this. Yep. That it, we've seen such a Titanic shift in the um, awareness for, right. for folks, for folks out there and what they're excited, what they're drawn towards. Um, it's a radical difference today. As you guys being one of the very first single malt distilleries in the country, um, if not the first, how do you guys feel about the the laws that are trying to be passed to categorize American single malt? A great, great question, and and I, I uh, and I will say that we were we were not not the first. I will I would happily argue that we were the first original single malts. Mm. And the idea of that, what I mean is that we we set out to make something that's not on that that is unlike Scotch. I don't want to make you know a, this is a this is our homage to Japanese whiskey with baller. It's not Japanese whiskey, obviously. Like, like I want to be like we're, this is to make something that's expressive of ourselves. So we want to make original, original concepts. And um, with regards to the um, the uh, American Single Malt Commission and and, and their work, um, quite honestly, at first, Lance and I were very reticent to support it. We were not. We we really struggled with the idea of putting um, of trying to confine 
a category as mm -hmm. it's developing. Um, I was really hesitant to to show support for it. And we've had a number of conversations over the years with the commission. And a few years back, we've we um, the commission had done has done a great job to try to create boundaries around the single malt category that were actually conducive to sort of celebrating the creativity potential rather than hampering it. Right. And so um, and so we actually really feel like it's a it's an important and worthwhile um, topic now. It's something that uh, working through that with the uh, Tax and Trade Bureau, the, the federal government, um, I think it's, a, it's something that we do support and we're excited to see uh, happen. But it's a, it was it was it was a process for us because ultimately, again, I want to make sure that that everything we're doing is creative. I don't want to be I don't want to be told I can't use the color blue. You know, right. I want to. But with that said, I do want to ensure that there's absolute transparency. I want to I want someone to basically smell and taste it and like you love it, you love it or hate it. I want you to understand why you like mm -hmm. this thing or you don't like it. I want better drinkers out there, quite frankly. Um, yeah, because I, I think that helps. That helps. That help. That's good. That's good for us. But that's that's good for Pernod. That's good for everyone to have that understanding. I think we need to have you back on Key in the Lake for like uh, yeah. maybe a, an extended conversation about the the American single malt like scene that's going on right now and and the the regulations that are being proposed around mm -hmm. uh, the category because I think it's a fascinating category and something that's so interesting in the United States right now with something that has not yet been defined here. So it's, I think it would be a cool conversation to, to go more in deep with you on. Absolutely. Yeah, ha uh, happy to do it. And I, I, can, I can have you guys call my agents, agents, <laughs> agents, and we'll, we'll right. your people will talk by people or, or either that or you just, you know, you can text me and we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> is Jamie your agent? Because I have her number. So yeah. oh my, her. oh my God, I, I wish Jamie was my agent. That would be. <laughs> I think we all do in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dave, I really appreciate it. This has been such an enlightening conversation. Uh, we're all big fans of Baller, big fans of St. George in general. Um, with Jamie being one of our good friends, it only perpetuated that. So we're excited to have you here. Um, thanks for all that. Um, and like Chris said, we'll definitely have to have an extensive conversation about not just American single malts, but St. George in general. I agree. Uh, would look forward to it and grateful for it. And uh, if and uh, two uh, two things I want to say. Uh, one, uh, you know, you all, uh, even if you're with Star Wars, whatever. But um, <laughs> if uh, in all honesty, uh, you're making your way out to our neck of the woods, uh, and you know, next month or, or any time, please, please, please reach out to Jamie. Reach out to me. Um, I'd love to be able to show you some hospitality in our house. And Absolutely. so, uh, always grateful for the opportunity. And then finally, also just uh, my sincere thanks to to. You all and everyone who's on here uh, who took some time out of their, their day to listen to me prattle on and share some stories about about what I love in this world. Um, yeah. And so I'm just really grateful for for you, for you all and for uh, everyone taking some time to, to listen to, to me uh, talk about St. George. So thank you. Awesome. Well, I think it's a, it's a distillery that definitely defines the world whiskey category because you're taking influences from all across the world and putting it into your distillery out in California. So I think it's a great match for what we're doing here today and this awesome whiskey and awesome brand for everybody to go out there and drink and buy. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Thanks y'all. Cheers. Take Cheers, care. Dave. Cheers. Oh, wow. That was awesome. Uh, I could have talked all day about that one. Um, was looking forward to that one very much because we haven't really featured St. George in the podcast. No, we haven't. No. Uh, so, sadly. Yeah, sadly. Yeah. I think it's Jimmy's fault. It is Jimmy's fault. Yeah. 
when uh, you get him back, I want to be part of that conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you can come to San Francisco with me yeah, in a month. Yeah, you know, just fly out there with okay. me. Flights are <laughs> flights are very cheap these days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we do have one more interview left. Oh, um, we have a minute. Ooh, we, have, ooh. we have a minute till that interview begins. I forgot about this. Um, everyone, if you haven't, if you haven't uh, refreshed yourself with some hydration of water. If you haven't poured a deep uh, glass of whiskey I, yet into whatever container you are one. drinking out of, um, please do that because yeah, yeah. Now is the we, time. we're going on a trip. Um, we are sitting here in Chicago, Illinois, but about two hours north of us in the great state of Wisconsin is a man, a myth, a legend that we've all, I think, contrived in our heads and basically prayed to the gods of whiskey that this person would come to this world and grace us with his presence. Um, I hope he's there. His camera is not showing. I'm going to ask him to unmute right now. Let's see if he comes up. He might be. Oh, I'm here. Okay. Oh, shit. Well, you just yeah. wait a second. Oh, I'm, here. I'm here. You just oh, wait a second. Um, let me introduce this man. Um, he is, you know, really <laughs> my brother, my captain, my whiskey guru through this great extravagant world of whiskey. He is also the reigning MVP of Key in the Lake 2021. Can he repeat as a 2022 champion of the world, a.k.a. the Key in the Lake MVP? But with us today is the one and only, the great and powerful Nick Brady Moss of the Dancing Goat Distillery in Whiskey City, USA. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) And now he's on video. Perfect. Perfect. We didn't even time that, so we didn't even (laughs) rehearse that. that at all. Thank you, friends. How are you, my dear? You know, I'm I'm living life as MVP, and I'm just trying to figure I, out. What I never voted for that. I don't you know. know I've been asking people, I've been asking people to refer to me as an M- MVP as like my, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm being like identified as, and it's not going well. You know, it's not going well. Well, you know, the leading contender or leading, I guess, a uh, participant to defeat you, to crown or to crown you from that was Matt Brown. But since he's selling vodka now. <laughs> no, you know, not no. Whiskey world likes likes whiskey, Matt. Silly Matt. Oh, awesome. Well, not Nick for... is the founder and uh, we we'll call him lead distiller. I don't think he likes the term master distiller right now at his ripe age like of uh, twenty three. You know that about me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why he has a cast on his hand, but that's the story behind that. I'm sure. Years ago. All right. Um, yeah, but uh, Nick founded a dancing Goat distillery a few years back uh, with his grandfather. If you haven't ever um, met Nick or had the great um, opportunity of listening to him, I suggest you go back to one of our oh, Keen Lake man, podcasts. I um, man, uh, there you go. There it is. Uh, Nick, I'm just going to ask you one question, and I'm probably not going to talk the rest of this time um, because that's the way you are and your personality that you are is so beautiful. But to you, what is whiskey? Dude, whiskey is friendship, man. Like whiskey, like think about what you think. First, first of all, it's a miracle, right? So we took the fruit of grains, we to- essentially we dry it, we uh, ferment it, and then we put it in a barrel. We hope it tastes good six weeks, six years later. And you know, like I am, like for people that don't know, like I am, like I am the tater. Like I haunt bottles. I, 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 I am the tater. Um, yeah, all those Instagram just, stories from last week. I am the tater, baby. You see that shit? I'm looking like my pregnant wife on this camera. Um, I, I am. I am a tater at the end of the day. And as a tater, I spent a lot of time drinking alone, sipping alone. But the, the best time you can ever have is just, you know, belly laughs and a big old four finger pour with your friends. Like, however that is to you. Yeah. For me personally, it's, uh, it's usually with a cigar uh, over a game of croquet with my friends in my front yard. 
Um, but whatever that is to you, you know, a whiskey to us is a celebration of agriculture. It's a celebration of life. It's a celebration of friendship, you know, and that's really kind of the distillery we built too, is, is a place to celebrate all those things. I love that you said agriculture though, Nick, seriously, um, because ultimately the American farmer is what really, you know, helps fuels us into who we are today. I mean, it's a big part of what we all do, at least here in the United States. Um, so I'm really, really glad that you mentioned that. It's kind of ridiculous that like, so like when we talk about wine, like all we do is talk, <laughs> I am ridiculous for sure. <laughs> um, hold on, please. Oh, oh good best sound in the world (laughs) when we're talking about whiskey right it's ridiculous to me is that like in wine we it's it's automatic we talk about vintages you know what i mean like the 1963 chateau de lafitte rothschild was immaculate right the 64 fell flat the 69 is worth you know your your mother's college tuition right um but uh you know we don't why don't we ever look at at grain specifically craft whiskey in terms of vintages like specifically, I tell you right now, the last two and three years, we pulled the corn out super late in Wisconsin because it was wet real late. That's going to have an impact on flavor. That's going to have an impact on yield. And the, the one thing that no one ever thinks about, that's going to have an impact on starch content. And that, that's going to dictate yields at the end of the day. But we don't ever, we, you know, we don't discuss, you know, like we had, I think it was three summers ago, historic flooding in Madison, which means that we had historic humidity. We don't talk about that. We're not tracking that. Why aren't I tracking that? Like, I'm the guy that's criticizing everybody for not tracking it, and I'm not tracking it. But the idea that we don't drink in vintages is just so, it's such a missed opportunity. You know what I mean? And, and when you drink in vintages, you're celebrating agriculture, right? You're celebrating everything about it. Well, explain, said. explain how we could do that, drinking vintages with whiskey. I mean, I think uh, the really important thing is the easiest way to do it is bottle and bonds, right? So if you're drinking bottle and bonds, uh, it has to be at a minute, the lowest you can prove it down is hundred. We all learned this week, right? That it can go over a hundred. I think we all double took like, what the fuck are those guys doing? You know, but the, the really cool thing about vintage, about bottle and bond is that it, it limits you to a blend from one distillery, right? In a six month period. And so therein you are now drinking all one lot of grain. Um, and so that's the, that's the, that's the easy way to start doing it, right? The, the, the hard way and the more rewarding way to start doing it would be full transparency from producers on lots of grain, what types of grain, if they're blending. And you'd only actually be able to do that from estate distilleries or completely transparent distilleries. You know, we've talked a lot about MGP on here. You know, I, I, I love MGP so much. You, you know, are MGP. I, I'm, not, I'm not MGP. Oh, I'm oh, sorry, oh, sorry, sorry. I'm an extension <laughs> of MGP for sure. Um, but the one thing with MGP is you could never drink in vintages because they're blending lots of rye, right? They're blending, they're blending different types of corn. You can't drink MGP in vintage. And then also the funny thing about MGP is, oh, you thought that came from Ross and Squibb? Well, maybe they outsourced to Barton for your 21 rye four years ago. And so it, it would take complete transparency on behalf of the producers, which you see from PM, some people, like I like to say, I'm completely transparent. Um, but from other people, they're, they're just not, you know. But it, I, mean, I mean, I think it's just asking the questions, you know what I mean? But mm. suppliers will start, suppliers will start producing how producers purchase, you know? And so if, 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 if consumers are discriminatory because of transparency and they're discriminatory based off of the information they want to have about the product, well, all of a sudden that information is going to pop up because we have it. We have to have it. That's how we, like, for instance, like we cook all organic grains here, but we're not an organic facility but we have to keep track of those lot numbers and those codes and the origin information, all that, because we say it's organic. And so it's, it's really easy once people start asking for it, because like, like for instance, our, our inventory, like there's a shot of our Rick house, right? 
So let's say those are dancing oat barrels because they're actually painted, but let's say that was some of my MGP inventory, right? Well, all of M MGP's inventory is, is date and lot coded the exact same way, which is how we date and lot code. And pretty much anyone that, that has a substantial sourcing model for their business is going to lot code in the same way. So like, for instance, like 14 F04, right? So that'd be 2014 F is the month, 04 would be the date code of that month. Um, that's a way to drink in, in vintages in a way, right? But then you're drinking off of distillations. And the other, the other aspect of drinking off vintages too that people don't think about is, you know, when we're talking lots, am I talking a lot of grain or am I talking a distillation? Because mm -hmm. a lot for me is a week's worth of distilling. A lot for, you know, let's say 45th parallel making J. Henry, right? A lot's going to be that stripping run and that finishing run. Well, a lot of MGP stands, you know, two weeks because they don't call it a lot until they do a clean to change. And so it's, it's, there's a lot of ways to become more educated as, as a consumer and, and requesting that information. It's already being recorded and tracked for TTV purposes. So requesting is going to make it appear, you know, otherwise you won't buy the product, but you got to make that commitment. And you got to get a community to make that commitment. We all know how hard that is, you know? <laughs> so how do you guys take that approach with, you know, you're sourcing whiskey, you're making whiskey. Um, explain us and walk us through to people that don't know how Dancing Goat makes your whiskey, make your whiskey. Great. Well, I'll start, I'll start off talking about limousine rye because that's what the sample that everyone got. Oh, please do. And so um, we, uh, limousine rye is a double barrel cask finish rye whiskey. And so it's a 95.5 mash bill from, uh, MGP. Uh, the big difference between us and all every other MGP 95.5 in the market is we age and use casks. And so we'll do a once used bourbon barrel for about five and a half years. And then uh, we'll do a blend of 20, about 25, 26 barrels. Um, take all those and, and that blend will fill our Solera up. It'll sit in that Solera for a, a, you know, an undetermined amount of time. We'll usually, it's based off taste, but usually ends up being anywhere from six to 12 weeks. Um, and usually it's faster in the summer, shorter in the winter. Um, and then from there, uh, we evacuate into proofing casks, which are really the casks that we just dumped. And then we slowly proof down in those casks over time. And so the way that we run our program is our single barrel program. It is a blend that gets to that second cask. And usually it's a, it's a special finishing barrel. Um, you know, we, we can't actually make true single barrels of limousine rye. Um, but so once we get down to our desired bottling proof in that barrel, we'll do another blend of all those bottles. And, uh, and that'll be our, our finished product getting sent out to bottle. Nice. And so with, are you always doing six years on this right now? Oh, uh, a six year minimum. So actually right now, it's so like what you guys have in front of you is a blend of six and seven year. Um, and then the, the next one that's coming out and with, with Solera, like the nature of Solera is that you're always like, we retain a little bit to kind of lead the blend every time. And mm -hmm. so um, that'll have a little bit of the six and seven in there, but really the majority of the stock coming in is the fresh blend coming in. So our next blend is all six year. And then the one following that is going to be mostly seven year. And so we usually, with our bottles, our six year bottles, there's usually at least a small portion that's, you know, up to a year older. A lot of our single barrels end up being uh, in a six year label, end up being seven, close to eight years old. Mm. How did you decide to do the Solera method and, and how did you decide to build it too? Um, so we, we used uh, our plumbers helped us build it. Um, we had looked at a couple different models that other people had used in, in other, from other companies. Um, but we weren't using it as like a traditional Solera. And so we just had different goals with it. Um, but, uh, the big reason that we wanted to use it is because we knew we wanted to do a limousine cask finish on this product. But at the time, I mean, this was 2015, 2014, 2015, when we were actually buying all the infrastructure and then we all put it together 2015, 2016 in the distillery. 
um, the wood coming out of the limousine forest uh, was controlled by the government. And so mm. you couldn't actually buy new charred and toasted, you know what I mean, limousine oak barrels unless you were in with the government of France. So that would go mostly to new producers there. And so the only way to get limousine oak was to buy used stuff. And so right. we went and we found the thickest walled, oldest limousine oak cast we could completely dis we bought 30, I think it was 30 or 32 of them, disassembled them completely, re uh, scraped down to the red line, recharred, retoasted every barrel. And from those 32, we were able to make 18 casts that could hold water. And mm -hmm. so um, it was a, and yeah, at the time you're talking each one of those barrels, they were from, originally they're from Martel Cognac. And then we got them from a small Armagnac producer and uh, a boutique one. And uh, those barrels were 55, 57 years old when I got them. And so now they're probably about 61, 62, 63 years old. Um, but uh, yeah, we knew we wanted to allow the smallest amount of limousine that we could get to impact the largest amount of product. And then that was the way to do it. Using the Solera, it, it allowed it more fluid to get through there. Um, you know, in the real world now, like I have on the floor now, we have eight charred and toasted 53-gallon barrels, um, assorted French oaks. We have... Uh, Quercus sessile um, and Quercus, which is and Quercus sessile, Quercus robur are going to be generally referred to as limousin oak if they are grown in the limousin region of France. Um, but uh, there's also there's a third one that works really well that not a lot of people know about, which is uh, Allier, um, which is probably I, I think that's uh, probably Quercus robur, Quercus sessile that's grown in the Allier forest. That's with my you know my podunk self-taught redneck translations, <laughs> the, the French spelling A-L-L-I-E-R. It might be like, all ya or all ya, all ya, all ya out there, loving French joke, you know? But, uh, um, but all ya is actually, uh, that, that wood from our trials, it seems to actually be a lot better for our specific goal, which is getting that real nice, toasty, nutty, kind of sawdusty note into the, into the distillate. Which really comes through in this one too. This one was pretty cool. So this was the first time that we, we changed. So we switched lots to, uh, to 15 J, um, on this one. And so when we switched lots, that lot was sitting a lot lower and a lot farther from the walls in MGP. And so the first thing we saw was that a lot of these barrels, we were dumping them. We're at 103, 105, 107, proof, but we also, we got a little bit more of the fruit notes to kind of come out. There's a little bit of that, like, like musty, like almost like a musty banana pith banana peel and there's a little there's there's a good amount of orange in there too which is a really cool little note that we were getting when we were dumping it but it's uh the one thing that we get that that's kind of the hallmark limousine is a high amount of vanillin we, we use vanillin from the solera to really tie together those lighter delicate fruit notes our blending theory originally was layering covs so clove which is a spice profile oh orange or fruit profile and v vanilla profiles but once our distillate hits four years, we lose those oranges. Um, and so to see it even pop back just a little bit in this blend was really rewarding. I actually, I went around with like tears in my eyes, just like fist bumping everybody because I really like this, uh, this blend coming out. Definitely see that happening. I love it. Why we cry we a lot at work, dude. We're very in touch with our emotions here. Uh, Everyone, I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm a big bitch. So I don't and we know you cry all the time. We just wish you come for once. I yeah. cry. Someday. Someday. Have you guys ever met in person? <laughs> no, we have yet to hug. We oh. get to hug, dude. Why can't you come? To, I can't come to your distillery event until you come rip some coyotes with me at the farm. Dude. Well, you know, I'm actually due up in Wisconsin next week. Not next week, next month. So we'll. I'll make sure to to come and see you for a day. 
Yeah, we need to do Please, a. I'd uh, love to have you. We, yeah, we've been I talking about it for, for years, but uh, a large road trip from Chicago up to yeah. uh, Whiskey City, USA. And then also be up there for the distillery single barrel release. So that's another chance for. When's that? Uh, we don't know yet because right now we're waiting on labels for those yeah, single barrels. Mm. Mm. They're waiting on labels. labels. <laughs> no, I got Bo. I got pretty Bo over here. Oh, Bo. Yeah. Help me with all the technologies. Can you, can you just show me his pretty face here, real quick? You want to come over here, bro? <laughs> oh, He's God. laughing at you. <laughs> oh. There he is. Oh, oh I see a shadow. Bro. Oh, hey, Bo. Hey, hey there's Bo. Great to see you <laughs> all. It's better to see you. <laughs> Can you lick your hand first and then put it through his hair? There we go. I'm not his mother. It's funny. He's got that Bobby Kennedy hair. All right, you guys have fun now. I used to slap my forehead to groom him. Uh, I think the the real question we have to answer is why is the distillery called Dancing Goat? No, 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 no. We're not going there. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough time for that. that. If you can answer it in five minutes, do it. I I dare you. That's a long fucking time. It's a long. I don't know if I can. I'll try. I'll try. All right. So entertain five minutes of this podcast. I'll tell you that. Here's the deal. We found out that goats cure cancer. So we went out on a mission to defeat the COVID and everyone wanted it. Everyone wanted it defeated, but we didn't know a way that we could do it now, you know, because the thing came all the way from the other side of the world and, you know, shut down. We didn't even make whiskey for six months. What's going on here? So I turned to my dad and I go, dad, the fuck we got to get these goats in mass production we send them out get them out to the people neuralize their neurons and get them all you know ready for the covidian nightmare that's coming so my dad looked at me and he literally slapped me silly and said boy shut the fuck up and make some sense and i got back to making whiskey and that's how he got called the dancing goat <laughs> that's it that's it wait that's pretty concise yeah that that was a. Uh... I, I expected more from oh, that, no. but that's okay. Yeah, when you yeah. Because if you go back there and you start trying to figure out where I learned all them big words, though, that's yeah. the real story right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, it took it only took about 48 minutes the last time I asked that question to be answered. So I love it. a new world record, I guess. So what happened now. to your arm, bro? What happened to you? Yeah. Like my carpal tunnel. Oh, carpal I've been tunnel. Pulling, pulling too many triggers. Is that a new barrel that you're bringing up? <laughs> 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 yup, yeah, it's a, it's a carpel tunnel finish. It's hard to keep a grip on, you know what I mean? Oh, so good, I just can't hold it. That that French county in Wisconsin. Yeah, exactly. That Bourbon County in Wisconsin. Oh. Nick, I think one of the things with you is that you could have gone the bourbon route, but you decided to go with rye kind of as um the foundation of dancing goat, or what at least you're known for out there in the whiskey world as you're starting to grow and, and expand. Why did you choose rye? Well, I love rye, man. I really do. I love rye. You know, I am a podunk redneck at the end of the day. And, and rye, moonshine and rye, moonshine rye is, you're going to talk to a lot of people in this industry. They're going to fucking say that to you. Um, it's real when you hear it out of my mouth. Um, we're it's a tradition in my family. And making rye and used barrels is a tradition in my family. And we're, we're just lucky that no one else liked to do it because that made us unique. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think you're going to start seeing a lot of people doing it, not because we've been so successful, but because most people aren't going to be able to find new barrels, you know? And so I think people are going to start putting bourbon mashes and rye mashes into used cooperage because, you know, they can't get any new barrels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the thing with rye for me at the end of the day is bourbon, uh, you know, in my family, we've been drinking a long time and, you know, bourbon's really cool now. And it's been really cool the last six, seven years, 
you know, but I think the, at the end of the day, what I like to say about bourbon, this is probably gonna piss a lot of people off on this call, but I like to say that bourbon's an entry level brown spirit. I don't think you're pissing anybody off because I'm getting a lot of hate for asking that question. (laughs) (laughs) It's really, you know, when you're just learning your palate or if you're a jackass with too much money in the Franklin room. So this is legit what happened to me. This has happened like five or six times in the Franklin room, right? So I'm with Bo and I'm messed up. And uh, this is when we were building the distillery, right? And it's like, I'm all messed up eating like goose liver pate in there. You know what I mean? And like yeah. big drugs, but washing it down baby. with Old Crow. And, yeah. uh, and the, the wild thing is, is that somebody, Peter would always tell somebody, oh yeah, well, that's Nick over there. He's building the distillery. And that person always come up to me. And you always tell when it was the Chicago Board of Trader, dude. You know what I mean? Because uh, it's always yeah. the same shit. He's yeah. looking my girlfriend up and down, wants to take her and thinks that the best way to take her, right? Is to make me look like an idiot, right? And so the, the, the number one move is to belittle me on my income and my knowledge because I look like a podunk moonshiner because I am one. And so what I've heard a million times in Franklin Room from jackasses you're trying to steal my girlfriend is, well, you're building a distillery and I know you can't afford it. So like, you got to try Pappy. Like, have you ever had it? You, and like, of course I've had it. I've met 10 jackasses like you in this bar in the last month that said the same thing, but I'm not going to take $150 one ounce pour you know what I mean? And, and, and take it out of my homies register, you know? And so what I go is I, I immediately turn to all my friends. I go, Oh, we're all in for an ounce four, all four of us. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then you get, and then people know to ask for Pappy because that's the cool one. You know what I mean? And then you get it, you're at, you get your, your, your meter ounce or half ounce four, you're holding hundred, 120 bucks. And this person's always doing the same thing. It's like, it's like, you gotta enjoy it. And this is why I call it uh, training wheels, brown, brown whiskey or brown spear train wheels. Mm. caramel because of caramel the reason we always have caramel is it's a brand new barrel we've caramelized hemicellulose we've extracted wood caramel into here literally wood caramel so there's caramel in it right vanilla so when we char a new barrel we take lignin we caramelize it we turn it into vanillin so we're always going to have caramel always and vanilla, vanilla. and then oh, what's that on the end hold on oh. oak right because it's always yeah. a brand new barrel right and so there's there's that train the vanilla caramel Oak, right? And so these motherfuckers every time be like, you got to enjoy it. You got to be cultured. I know you can't afford it, right? And it's always the same thing. It's a couple and then there's a man that's smooth, you know? And it's like, well, nothing about your face said that was smooth. You're drinking Elmer's Blue. You're not supposed to age something in a new barrel for 20 years. You're just fucking not. Like when you see like so like cognac, right? Like when you're looking at like a 41-year-old cognac, Ugh. guess what? They age that in a used barrel for 20 years and then put it in a glass and for, for a century, it's not in wood for that long, you know? Yeah. And so like when you're talking, so like scotch, like you get like scotches that are 45 years old, 50 years old, six years old. Well, that's in a used cast. That's not in a brand new cast ever. That's, that's in a used cast that whole time at a different latitude than, you know, than Kentucky, which is going to have full fluctuations and swelling. And so, but my favorite thing to do in that moment is to look at them because, you know, I was supposed to enjoy it, you know, and I go, well, nothing about your face said smooth there, you know? <laughs> but it's, you know, and it's always like, it's like, you know, and then you got Bo and Sean behind me doing the same thing, you know, going vertical on a hundred and two hundred dollars worth of booze, you know, but, but that's at the end of the day, it's a status symbol, right? And it's easy. It's easy to identify. And so for people that are a little bit unsure of their skill level or people that want to make people think that they know more than they are, bourbon's really easy, right? But mm-hmm. rye, I think has a lot more flavor. And I think that the way that we make rye and the way that we showcase it, like we don't, when you go on a tasting with our product, you know, you don't get the standard 
you know, you get a little bit, of, sometimes you get dill, sometimes you get mint, but you don't get dill, mint, black pepper, which is to a T every 95.5 rye from MGP. It's, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get either dill or mint and then black pepper. And that's going to be the majority of the tasting note. But what we really think is we show the finer side of rye, the lighter side of rye. And by using the used cooperage, we end up getting more, the, the, our blends end up being more what I call citrus driven. Um, or no, I'm sorry, um, uh, more cola driven. And so cola, when we're talking about cola and whiskey notes, um, if you guys, so there's a couple ways to think about everything you think about as a whiskey note, think about it as an artificial ingredient instead. So when you say banana, don't think banana like, hey, this is banana like that I just took off a tree, right? It's banana like the yellow Laffy Taffy. Because yeah. those like those candies that are using those, they're from the same components that's giving us that trigger. Like isoamyl acetate, that banana that comes off of uh, Jack Daniels that it's very famous for, that's how we make laugh, banana Laffy Taffy's. And so those esters and those fruit, those flavor compounds, they're, they are, they're literally the same, right? So the way that we make a cola artificial ingredient is you take lemon citrus artificial ingredient, and then you take caramel and you, you blend them together. And so what I like to say is by using the used barrel, we don't automatically trigger guayacol, which is that black pepper. We trigger a, a lot more lemon, which mixes with the caramel from the, bill, the, the barrel and kind of gives us what I call a cola note. And so our blends then are cola driven. So they have an opportunity to be lighter. They're not completely spice driven. It's like most rice would be 100% spice driven out of MGP. They'd be all that, uh, a lot of that guayacol, right? Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> if you say so. <clears throat> no, the I thing, think, I, I love no, the word no, cola personally. No, I, I think what you've, what you've done, I love hearing you explain cola the complexity of what rye is doing. Um, Cause a lot of people don't think of it as a complex whiskey. They think of it as a spicy whiskey, yeah. or like you said, a dill whiskey. They don't think of it as all the nuances that a bourbon can have, but you just explained there why why you should love rye whiskey. There's a ton of white rye whiskey drinkers in this uh, Zoom call with us tonight or today. We're in the night of Chicago as it's very dark and eerie and a carnival is <laughs> happening behind us. It will it will probably bounce out anytime today. Um, that laughing clown him, the angel. But uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing always to hear what you guys are doing over at Dancing Goat at a very small level and explaining this whole different story of rye and taking these limousine casts, something that a lot of people wouldn't think would work with rye as a grain that's going to pr produce like a spicier vanilla note to it already from itself and then putting it with this category. But it's about how you how it's distilled, how it's matured, the essence, the essence that goes into the little cares of every step along the way at Dancing Go. Even though you're not much of a, uh, oh, how do I say, uh, a soft touch person on the outside, <laughs> you know, you I think much care into what you do and the precision, the precision it takes to make great whiskey. I think that the big thing is, you know, I'm, your I'm, I'm clearly oh. not a finesse guy, right? <laughs> Whoa. Um, <laughs> Whoa. Clearly not a finesse guy. Um, but I think that the thing that you get at the dancing goat is you get a different attitude. We mm. approach it different. So one thing that awesome. I am a big fan of is the Toyota way, which is a manufacturing premise on how to organize a business. And one of the tenets of the Toyota way is to respect your employees by giving them the tools that they need at the time when they need it in the place when they need it. Um, and that goes back to like the six S's if you, if you're, or like lean manufacturing, those are all kind of in line with each other. Um, right. There's an aspect to that. That's really important for us here. Give people the tools that they need where they need it. But then an extension of that is respect your customers and treat them like they're there. And so like one of the things that we do is, is we, we will power wash our barrels before we dump them. And the reason that we do that is we take a lot of rust off the rings. And, you know, most people, I guarantee you, no offense, I'm going to call everyone else out here. I guarantee you no one else here spent any time power washing barrels this week. 
And it's, it's probably a minuscule thing. It probably doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't come through. But at the end of the day, I know that iron gets into my whiskey if I don't do that because I don't filter anything. And so out of respect for my customers, we're going to power wash the barrel and then we're going to let it dry before we stack it on top of anything because we don't want that iron to drop in anything else. And we, we take, there's these little things that are stupid that take more time, but because we respect our customers and we respect the liquid that we have, we don't sell commodity alcohol. Uh, my alcohol is not $9.99 on the shelf available 24-7. So I shouldn't treat it that way. And I shouldn't treat my consumers that way. And so by, by respecting ourselves and respecting our consumers and respecting our liquid, I really believe that's the dancing goat difference. Everything from power washing barrels to you know full cleans in between stripping runs to you know the way that we sour mash, all of that stuff. We're very, from a person that's not a really finesse person, um, <laughs> we're very, we make whiskey in a very intentional way if that makes sense. And that's a respectful way. We know, you know, there's at the end of the day, we're eating the shit east, you know? And so like, there's a point of this, like, what are we being so, you know, what are we being so, so pesky for, you know, but you know, the, the reason we're being pesky is you don't want to put a finger in someone's bottle, right? Yeah. Or you don't want to, you don't want to put a fly in someone's bottle, right? Yeah. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do the old bad trick. Like Jake, huh? Jake is prime. Jake is ready to go uh. home. Uh, no, I think you're so, so right about that. It's the respect that goes into everything from every step along the way. Um, what you do, I mean, the first time we ever met and you were showing me around the distillery, going through parts, you were breaking down from other distilleries and building, building your own stills and where the fermenters were going to go, where everything was going to be laid out to be to what you envisioned in your head. So you could produce the, the whiskey that you wanted uh, that was inside of your head to out to the rest of the world. It's, it's been absolutely amazing. Uh, I value our friendship so much um everything you've taught me about whiskey it's been amazing and what are you getting to share it with this community getting to share it with people who have heard you a few times talking on our podcast talking on our instagram live uh show that has faded away but it needs to come back um mm -hmm. it's amazing to be here with you today on world whiskey day <laughs> i'll waltz with you again you know i really love what you guys are doing because it's a community of people that wants to learn right. and they're accepting to everybody and when you see you know like the whiskey community's gotten to a place where we say we're real I mean, everyone to your face is going to be real woke and talk about how accepting they are and this and that and this and that. But when you look at bourbon as a whole on social media platforms, it is exclusionary. It is 100% status-based. That's why you see the same pictures of the same, not that my bottle's ever one of these pictures, but, you know, <laughs> you know like, but the BMW, like, you know, the flex with, like, the Beamer logo and the watch and the Weller. It's like, well, that's probably the same Weller you scored four and a half years ago, you know, but oh, yeah. it's, it's a status thing. It's a comparison thing. And you guys created a community of, of people that, you know, one of the, one of my favorite things about you is when Sean was all drunk and he's trying to talk to you about coming to our team. And you said, I'm a world whiskey guy. And you really are. You're somebody that you want to, she was drunk, leave him alone. Um, but you're somebody that you <laughs> so want to, you know, I can sit, I remember one of the coolest things about sitting with you guys the first time is I pulled some wild shit out. I pulled out a bunch of single malts. Yeah, I pulled out yeah. a bunch of different finishes and you guys are, are confident enough that you'll try all these different things and you'll, you'll call a spade a spade, but you know, it's, it's not like I'm just, we're just, we're, we don't sit there and talk about Weller the whole time, right. you know, and there's, there's aspects of what you guys have done with your community um, that I really respect because this is the, this is what the whiskey community, this isn't, this is a community that is open. This is right. a community that lets people talk when they're different, when they don't, you know, like, Shit, man. I was on a panel the other day and it was, uh, it was me, Cedar Ridge, the blue run guys, 
which is kind of ironic, you know. And oh, then, uh, and then one other distillery that I can't too remember much about. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, but but you know, I didn't talk to so like you know, I talked shit. I talked more shit about Calumet for sure. <laughs> yeah. but, Blue, but Blue Run's a really good example of like like that brand, right? Is really like they they define their customers. They know who they are. It's people that are going to spend a lot of money on whiskey. They're chasing the bottle to collect it. And yeah, the juice they put in, they got Eddie Russell to source 12 and 13 year old, you know, straight Kentucky bourbon stuff stellar, you know, but how much of that do they have? Do they have enough to build a huge brand? They probably did, you know, but there's all these different in their ear. So yeah, you know, but there's, there's all this stuff that like, you look at it and you go, this is all status based. This is Mm -hmm. all allocation based. This, and I'm not trying to criticize them at all, you know, because they're really, they're not those type of people. Like I've talked to Mike a lot now from the after since that we're buddies now. Um, but, uh, you know, he's not a status person. He's not an exclusionary person. But right. when you create bottles that end up in the three tier system that people are getting paid off to acquire, or they'll never see, you know, like shit, I got, I got my first bottle of um, chasing butterflies, man. You know, watch my daughter named Veda. I had to give that name and write up dude. Dead serious. Damn. <laughs> Uh, well, maybe one day dancing. I only got a green butterfly. I didn't even get the blue one, man. Is blue your favorite color? <laughs> but you know, and that's the thing. But you guys create a community where it's people that want to learn, you know, and yeah. it's people that come together. Like I've been sold straight up. I've been on one of your things about. I'd be like, I get apple, and they're like, hell no, that's not apple. It's pear, you know. And it's like, <laughs> okay, it's pear, you know. But it's it's a really cool community. I remember one time we were talking about we were we were on a tasting at, at Key in the Lake tasting late. And we started talking about some of the notes we get off scotch. And somebody was like, yeah, I get a burnt plastic note. And I'm looking, I'm smelling. I was like, holy fuck me too. But it's like a good one. And then uh, <laughs> I, and I think Calum comes in. He's like, yeah, I may have to actually, you know, it's in our test and those like this little burnt plastic <laughs> And I'm like, what the fuck did he just say? You know, it's like crazy. Well, the craziest is when you get Callum talking to one of the other Scottish men. You know, because he reverts. Oh, you can't understand a word. Oh, you can't yeah, yeah. yeah, so Callum yeah. starts like oh, talking like he's in space and never left. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, he he talks like this sometimes, but then he goes, "Oh, he's wearing a kilt right now at a wedding." So that's I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of him. I'm so protecting his culture. No, I'm honestly proud of you. Um, I'm proud of you to be here. Proud of you to represent what you're doing inside a bottle, the labor and all the intensity of what you guys produce uh, at your distillery, but all the fun that you have is a magical experience for anybody to go up there and see, because uh, you guys are world-class. You're Thank in you. a small part of the world, but you're doing something great. Um, could I end this world whiskey day, live zoom, Facebook, live streaming podcast with a quote? Nope. If yes, you yes, can. Please. If I can have one request. Yes. You fucking both of these guys, both of them have to come. They both have to. At some point in time, both of you have to come. This summer, so it has if to happen. you promise me that you'll bring them to me, yeah. I will allow you to close your quote. If not, I will screen your whole quote. This is, this is absolutely <laughs> happening. Uh, we'll, we'll bring Okay, Ian thank too. you, Chris. We'll thank bring you, Ian and the Scotsman as well. Uh, no, 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 no. Callum can stay. We want to understand. <laughs> I'm just Perfect. kidding. You know I love him so much. Well, this is the very beginning of the first page of the philosophy of whiskey. And I think it sums up what, sums up what we're celebrating today on World Whiskey Day. Whiskey is a toast to civilization, a tribute to the continuity of culture, the manifesto of man's determination to use resources of nature to refresh mind and body and to enjoy the full senses with which he has been endowed. Amen. Love that. He's hung. Damn. Yeah. Well, everybody out there, um, for, for all the folks that joined us today, 
thank you so much. Um, to the millions that joined us in person, thank you very much. Huge crowd here today. Uh, the, carna the carnival outside of there, amazing, amazing. So, but to the beer seller, thank you. Um, to Ian and Dave, who run the beer seller, uh, big ups to you guys for letting us do this and believing in us to uh, host a live podcast here on the great day of World Whiskey. And what I have to say to you, Nick, um, and to all of our viewers out there, Cheers. We'll go back to that one quote that we had earlier in the day. When you're in good company, you always have good whiskey. 100 times.